0: Good morning, yeah, for those who are visiting, welcome, as you can tell I have a different accent to most people here, I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa and I've lived all over the world as a missionary for many years, uh, my wife and I have been part of the Vineyard Movement for many years, since the 90s, um, so that's why I've got the flip-flops and the tie-dye shirt on, I fit right in, <laughs> so Welcome. Yeah, this morning we're going to continue the series we've been doing over the last few weeks, To the Cross and the Resurrection. Um, Today we're going to be looking and reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the slides, and if you want to follow along in the Bible, you're welcome to. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 27, verses 32 through 61. Now, there are some Bibles here. They're going to be New King James, so they're going to sound a little different to what I'm going to be reading. I'm reading in the NIV. Again, it's Matthew 27... 32 to 61 <clears throat> As they were going out they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross They came to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall but after tasting it he refused to drink it When they had crucified him they divided up his clothes and casting lot by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's a king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At the bottom of the curtain, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and Jesus, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Josephs, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph where he himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb, and I guess that's it. That was up to 61. So there's a lot that we just read there. So let's go and try and uh, unpack this lot and read the scriptures one by one and see what's going on. To give you some context at this point, Jesus had just been whipped and, and, um, you know, been beaten and whipped so badly that the flesh was torn off his bones. You could literally see his ribs through the way the the cat of nine tails had ripped around and and ripped his flesh open. He was probably very weak from a loss of a lot of blood. And, um, He was to carry his cross through the streets up to the place where he was to be crucified. All right? How do you feel when you experience pain and suffering as a Christian? A lot of times we we got through things in life. Sometimes we got through a lot of pain. Uh, I've had shingles once, twice before, and that was super painful. I didn't like that at all. But I typically get angry at the devil when I go through pain and and, and sufferings in life because he's the one who brought it all into this world, right? And... um, I couldn't imagine the pain and suffering Jesus was going through at this time, Just the severe uh, floggings that he had, and uh, the pain that he had at the time. You know, I cut my finger when I'm, I'm cutting vegetables, I almost pass out when I see my own blood. <laughs> and Jesus was like, lost most of his blood at this stage. So I couldn't imagine what he was suffering at the time. So let's go back into the first uh, verse in Matthew 27:32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. Now, Simon was from a, a place in northern Africa, probably Libya today. And he was most likely visiting Jerusalem for the Passover, right? He was probably a Jew. And so they grabbed Simon along the way. I can imagine what he felt like. You know, they're like, hey, you carry the guy's cross. It's like, hey, I'm not getting crucified here. Make sure when I get to the top of the hill, you don't put me on the cross, you know? That's what I would have thought if I was Simon, now typically the cross um, crossbar of the cross weighed uh, between 70 and 90 pounds. So it was pretty heavy. It was pretty like a railway sleeper or something. It was a pretty heavy piece of wood. And Jesus being as weak as he was, the gods probably saw he couldn't carry that cross beam and they made Simon carry it up to the, the place of the crucifixion. In verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Now, unfortunately, our slides are not working. I had a picture of Golgotha for you. It's it's a hillside just outside of Jerusalem, and it literally looks like a human skull. It's got these indentations where the eyes would be, and the nose, etc. And when the shadows fall just right on it, it literally looks like a skull. They, there, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, in Mark 15:23, it specifies that the bitterness in the wine was due to the presence of myrrh. Wine mixed with bitter herbs or myrrh created a potion that dulled the sense of pain. The mixture of sour wine and gall was often given to, uh, to the suffering to ease the pain in death. Now, when I did a little bit more research on that, it was more like a poison. And so they'd offer people this drink to kind of help them die quicker than not have to go through all the suffering they're about to face, all right? But Jesus refused it. In verse 35, when they had crucified him... They divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. How would you, how would you feel inside if you picture Jesus on the cross? You know, I've watched the, the movie Passion. I've only watched it once because it was just so horrific for me. I haven't been able to watch it again because it just tears my heart apart, you know. Just seeing how much he suffered for us. For me that he, you know take care of my sins for me uh, thats a lot so let's unpack this a little bit here firstly they crucified him what does it mean it's fancy word crucify right we don't have crucifixions anymore so Sophia a severe form of punishment that they did back in the days of the Romans according to Roman law once a criminal was convicted he was to carry his own cross to the place of execution if his crucifixion was to occur somewhere else in the place of the trial. The purpose for exposing criminals heading for crucifixions to passers-by was to remind those who watched of Roman military power. You know, my wife and I lived in Beirut, Lebanon, back in the 90s, We were missionaries out there, and they still practiced public executions. You know, the people will take their kids to go and watch people getting hanged to just show them who's in power. And if you step out of line, this is what's going to happen to you, right? And this is pretty much what the Romans were doing with crucifixion and having the people paraded through the streets to let the people know if there's any insurrections, this is going to happen to you too. After the person was deca- deca- declared guilty, a crossbeam would be laid across his back and a herald would walk ahead of him proclaiming his crime. A sign of the person's crime was written on it. It would also be made later to be hung on the cross above his head. Sometimes a sign bearing the person's crime would be hung around his neck. So all the spectators who lined the streets to watch him walk by would know what crime he committed. This was the very type of sign that was publicly displayed on the cross above Jesus' head with the crime he, had, he was charged with being the king of the Jews. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Typically, a criminal was stripped of the clothing, either at the crucifixion or earlier during the scour- scour- scourging. Get mixed with my, my translations or my accent. Scourging or scourging? How would you say that? Scourging. Great. Thank you. Then they were nailed firmly to the crossbeam through their wrists with seven to nine inch nails. All right, The points would go into the vicinity of the median nerve. Now, those of you who do medicine know exactly what that's all about. It causing shocks and pain to radiate through the arms. So the person's hanging on that crossbeam through a very sensitive nerve centre in their arms, and all that pressure and the weight of their body is hanging on that nerve, and so it causes excruciating pain. <clears throat> the crossbeam was then raised high against the upright shaft and made fast to it about nine to twelve feet above the ground. Next, the feet were nailed to the upright shaft. Death ultimately occurred through a combination of constrained blood circulation, organ failure, and asphyxiation as a body strained under its own weight. It could be more hastened by shattering the legs with an iron club, which prevented them from supporting the body's weight and made an inhalation more difficult, accelerating both asphyxiation and shock. So now you can imagine Jesus is hanging there, his feet are nailed, and he's hanging on that median nerve, it's hurting, he can't breathe properly, so he has to... Push on those nails that have now hammered through his feet and all the pain in his legs to try and raise himself up so he can breathe better and get the pain out of his arms. And then he'll get tired and he'll slack down again. And it's just a, a constant thing up and down. And as you heard to sometimes the people that were tough and wouldn't die quick, they would take a, a metal club, an iron club, and break the legs so that they couldn't push up on their legs anymore. So they could die quicker by asphyxiating. It was a terrible form of death. Secondly, the soldiers cast lots for his clothing. This fulfills a prophecy from Psalms 22:18, which states, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now, if there's any scholar of the, the law of the, uh, the religious leaders back then, they would have known this has been a sign of Jesus being the Christ, right? The Messiah. Because if they had known all the prophecies that were written about the Messiah, they would have seen that this falls right in line with what was, was prophesied in Psalms 22:18. In verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. <clears throat> the fact that Jesus was crucified with the two robbers is a fulfillment of yet another prophecy. If you look in Isaiah 53:12. It says, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Again, this would have been a big sign for the religious leaders back in the day if they knew their scriptures well. Not only was he numbered amongst those two thieves that were on the crosses beside him, but he made intercession for them too. It doesn't say it here specifically in the verse that we read, but in the other gospels, it says that Jesus actually prayed for one of them that asked him if he could be in the paradise with him, right? So Jesus was numbered among the transgressors and he made intercession for them. Secondly, the people were angry at Jesus. They thought he was some crazy madman, right? He was walking around for three years telling him how he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And they were thinking literally he was going to go and tear all the stones down. Now, the temple was huge. It took their forefathers 23 years to build a temple. And he has this man walking around and said he's going to destroy it in three days and then rebuild it again in three days. It's like, he's crazy, right? That's why they were angry and wanted him crucified. However, the people were blinded to what Jesus' words meant. He wasn't talking about tearing down the literal temple. He was talking about tearing down the system of worship back in that day. Because in the temple, there was a curtain, big veil that was there, and behind it was the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest was able to go behind the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. And Jesus was saying that he was going to destroy the whole way of worship, and in three days, bring something new. We're going to look at that a little bit further as we read on. In verse 41, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's a king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we all believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Verse 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the sixth to the ninth hour is noon to 3 p.m., okay? Another sign that this was a Messiah that was being crucified is that it became dark across the land. And it wasn't because of a solar eclipse. Everybody says that it was because of an eclipse. The Passover always happened, um, let me get my facts right, here. on a full moon. And a solar eclipse can only occur during a new moon. So it wasn't a solar eclipse that was happening at that time. It was a supernatural occurrence where the whole area became dark, almost like God was being angry at the people for crucifying his son. Then Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry is a fulfillment of Psalms 22.1 which reads, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? There could have been little doubt in the minds of those who were standing there as to what Jesus was saying. They'd been taunting him with his claim to be God's son, and an appeal for divine help would have been expected. But why do you think Jesus felt abandoned by God? Ever thought about why he cried out those words? Jesus was crying out in anguish because of the separation he now experienced from his heavenly father for the first time and only time in all of eternity. It's the only time of which we have record that Jesus did not address God as the father. Because the son had taken upon himself all the sin and the father had turned his back on him. Basically in layman terms, Jesus became the very epitome of sin itself. That we could be free of its guilt and shame, and in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in what ways does Jesus' act of sacrifice inspire you, motivate you, or demonstrate love, his love for you? This is something that I had wrestled with for many, many years. Uh, you know, As you know, I was saved out of Satanism, and so I had a radical change in coming to Christ. And knowing what it was to be forgiven of my sins... But the very fact and the thought of that Jesus knew way back then that I needed him to die for my sins just blows me away. And not just the sins I've already committed, but those ones I'm still to commit. He took those upon himself, every one of our sins. Every sin in the past of all the people on earth he took upon himself. And every sin still to be committed he took on himself that we may be free and have access to the Father as sons and daughters. And we may spend eternity with him in heaven. You know, the laws in the Old Testament are way too many and too hard for me to ever follow. I would have died in my sin back in those days. Because I would have messed up. There would have been no grace for me. But thank God that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross that we may be forgiven of those sins. That we may have access to the Father and eternal life with him forevermore. And that was a lot. And that's what unconditional love looks like. Right? I mean, I have two sons. There's no way I could give up one of my sons to die for someone else. It's like, you're on your own, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I just wouldn't have it in me to do it. That's unconditional love. Verse 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got his sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, They were terrified and exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. And there's a lot to digest in those few verses right there. First, the moment Jesus died, there was an earthquake, and the curtain in the temple was split in two. So that curtain I was talking about before, there was the veil that hid the Holy of Holies, right? It was torn in two. The curtain hid the presence of God. Only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies behind the curtain once a year to make an atonement for the people's sins. So of all the people that were out in Jerusalem that were worshiping God, they never knew his presence. Only the, holy, only the high priest did, and he only was allowed to go in there once in a year to make atonement for all those people's sins. Now with this veil tearing, the Holy Spirit, God's presence was released into all mankind, right? So that was a, a big part of the temple and the old way of worship being destroyed that Jesus was talking about. And not only did the curtain, uh, the curtain tear, but the tombs broke open, the dead were raised to life. It was kind of like a zombie apocalypse happening, right? <laughs> Can you imagine seeing your grandpa that died 10 years ago walking in, like, Hey, Gramps, what are you doing here? You know? That would have freaked the living daylights out of me. <laughs> and that alone must have been enough for the, the, the religious leaders to notice that, that this must have been the Christ or the Messiah that we crucified, that all the dead were raised up, the fact that it was dark supernaturally, All the things that were happening, the earthquake, the temple being destroyed just as Jesus said it would be. You know, the whole temple itself didn't collapse. That only happened years later. But the very essence of their worship was destroyed through the curtain and the veil being torn. Lastly, the Jewish religious leaders had denied Jesus was the Christ, but the Gentile Roman centurion declared with his own lips that Jesus was the Son of God. The veil had been torn, and not even the Gentiles were going to be saved. <clears throat> then in verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As the evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, Named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in his clean linen cloth, and placed it in the new tomb that he had cut from the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. All right, so Jesus was dead. This kind man got his body, wrapped it up in the, in the linens, and they put him in the tomb, right? It's important to note that the women, Jesus' life, were there with him until the end. All the disciples, except John, were in hiding. They were in fear of their lives. They were scared they were going to be associated with Jesus and be crucified themselves for following him. Uh, we all know that story about Peter denying Jesus three times until the cock, uh, the rooster crowed. And so a lot of these guys were in fear of hiding, except for John and all these ladies, the woman witnessed his crucifixion and death, and they were also the first to witness his resurrection, is what we'll hear about next Sunday on Easter. <clears throat> so this is, you know, not one of the easiest sermons to, to preach, but it's all about what we, why we exist as Christians, right? Jesus died for our sins, his body was broken for us, by his stripes we are healed, and by his blood we are forgiven. And it still blows my mind that he still has forgiven the sins I'm still going to commit because we all mess up, right? Sin is just like having a target and you miss the center of the target. If the target is righteousness and you miss a target, that's what sin is. You're missing his righteousness. You're missing what's best for us. But he died that we don't have to walk in the guilt and shame of the sin, that we could be free and we have kind access to the Father and his presence. Ever since the veil was torn, we have now become the temple of the holy spirit right our bodies are the temple of the holy spirit so he comes and dwells within us when we accept jesus and we are now his temple and we have the access to his presence and the holy spirit in us and that's what's so cool about it people didn't understand back then what he was talking about because jesus spoke in riddles a lot of times now when i read some of the the bible and the parables even i have a hard time understanding it unless i go and look it up on google and see what he's trying to say right because it gets a little confusing So, that leads us to the very reason why Jesus died. and gave us access on the last night, the night before he was crucified. He had a dinner with his disciples. And at that dinner, he broke bread and he um, shared wine with them. And he said the bread was his body that was going to be broken for them. And the wine is a representation of his blood that was shed so that we can have eternal life with Jesus. So, the way we do it here is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you want to get to know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you're welcome to come take the elements. We all come through down the center in two lines, take a cracker, dip it in the wine, keep the elements, go back to your seat on the outsides, and then we'll all pray and take the elements together. So if you'd like to take uh, communion, let me pray first, and then you can come up. So Jesus, we want to thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, Lord, that you came to set us free from oh the tyranny of the devil, Lord. We just thank you that you came to give us life and life abundant. And Lord, we take the communion in remembrance of that today. So if you'd like to take it, please come, come forward and get your elements. Frolic in and all happy about coming to take the communion. That's how we also be, right? Because this is the very essence of why we Christians. Jesus died for us that we may be forgiven. So Lord, we want to thank you for your death and resurrection, God. We want to thank you for the elements that we take today in remembrance of what you. Accomplished on the cross for us, Lord. Give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.